and uh, what a joy when we do. Matthew chapter 8, we find Jesus and an encounter with a very interesting man who is uh, coming along and going to come to the Savior for help. And uh, certainly there are many stories uh, in the Bible, many stories that, uh, of our Savior that are uh, interesting, they're fun, they're fun to imagine, kind of what it must have been like uh, to be able to come to Jesus, not just in prayer, as much of a great privilege as that is, but to be able to see him physically, and, and especially for those who grasped, at least to some extent, who he was, and what it must have been like to uh, be able to just come to him and, and have him uh, respond in such a manner as that and be able to see the response of his face. And uh, so I enjoy just imagining a little bit. I call it a sanctified imagination. I don't know that that's necessarily what it is, but uh, good terminology. And uh, just, just thinking through the scriptures, you realize Hollywood really hasn't come up with much that it wasn't already come up with by the Lord. They come up with things like, you know, animals that talk. God already did it. And uh, I mean, there's so much in here. There's so much that is... Uh, it's so interesting, it's so exciting, amen? And when we take the Bible and we really just kind of uh, imagine it and put it into full picture, uh, full color, if you, if you would, it really is an exciting book. And uh, I tell teenagers all the time, if all you do is read it, then it's kind of boring. Because, yes, there's truths, but you're not going to pull them out. And so if all you see is black and white, you're missing so much because when you really take it and you picture the setting and you picture what it is and you picture the Word of God, it's thrilling. And that's what I want to do just a little bit this morning here in the book of Matthew chapter 8. And uh, just going to look at the first four verses. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. It says, When he, that's Jesus, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Father, I love you. I thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word of God and the power of it. And I pray now that you would take your word and apply it to each and every heart. We know that the word of God does not return void. And so, Lord, it really is not about a uh, delivery of a message this morning. Anything that I have planned, you don't want. I pray that you'd strike it from my mind. Lord, anything I don't have planned, you do want in the message. I pray that you'd put it into my mind. It really is not about uh, an outline or a message. It really is about you speaking to hearts. And so, Lord, I pray today that you'd take your word and that you would be the one and that the Holy Spirit would have uh, free reign amongst us today, that you would be able to move and speak and work with each one of us individually. We love you. We thank you. We thank you for loving us enough to convict us and to challenge us and to change us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We see here this man as Jesus comes down from the mountain. Obviously the multitudes have been there and so now the multitudes are following him down. And, and you can just kind of picture the scene. Uh, you can just imagine a, a little bit of what it's been. He has been uh, preaching to them now for some time and uh, he, they have been there. Perhaps they're hungry. Perhaps there's some kids who are uh, a little bit fussy. I don't know about yours. Mine get a little fussy after they listen to preaching for too long and uh, usually their dad preaches a little too long. And so so they uh, can get that way. Maybe there's some children that are a little smaller that fell asleep while they were there and the moms are carrying them down the mountainside. And, and you can just kind of picture the conglomeration of different types of families, different types of people. And they're all coming, but they're all really trying to crowd around one person. 
And they're trying to get around Jesus. And, and Jesus is the, if we could say it this way, I certainly don't want it to come across in a wrong manner, but he is the biggest star of the day. And he is the, the person that everyone wants to be around. It would be like today, many of the cultural uh, people that we might know their name, they would be a quote-unquote household name. And when they go somewhere, people just kind of crowd and congregate around them. And that's the fame that Jesus has right now. And so he's coming down from preaching this message, and, and everybody's crowding, and everybody is, is coming, and, and some are asking perhaps a question, and some are just watching from a distance, just remembering the fact they were here on this day and, and and so you can just imagine all of what it must have been just kind of that that busy hubbub of activity and and everybody kind of has their own different things that they're doing one of the things I love about uh, hosting conferences or even uh, special services and things like that at church is just the busyness leading up to it I enjoy that. It's so much fun. And, uh, and you have all of everybody is doing all these crazy things and running different directions and everybody's trying to make sure that everything happens and, and there's all that kind of stuff leading up to the event. And then you have the event and if everything goes semi-okay, you know there's going to be problems. But if it goes semi-okay, then afterwards the majority of the people will go home and usually there's just kind of a handful of people left that they've been just laboring and working and, and uh, trying to get everything ready. And they've been part of all that busyness leading up. And now there's just like that excitement that we pulled it off and we survived afterwards. And, and if you've done it, you know what I'm talking about. And it's just, it's a fun. You'll sit around, you can kind of talk. And yeah, we almost didn't get this done. And praise the Lord, that happened. And this didn't work how we thought it would. But at least this worked. And, and there's just kind of a... a bustling inside of you we can imagine here are these people coming down they've been listening to the service the disciples have been laboring and working the 12 apostles primarily and they've been doing all this so you can just kind of imagine them being around Jesus and and everybody's heading home but they're coming down the mountain together and you can imagine them Lord that was a great message you know, the things that you said here, and, and when you said this about that, I mean, and you can imagine maybe the people trying to process through, they're, they're always being said how they were so amazed at his doctrine. It's so different than the doctrine of the Pharisees, amen? I mean, he actually loves people, and he's not all worried about only standards and rules, and certainly he has standards and rules, but he actually loves people too, and they're amazed by that. And so now, here comes Jesus down the mountain, and then... One man has the audacity to step in and mess up the whole thing. There's joy, there's excitement, there's the hubbub of activity, and then a leper. Now, a leper, you probably know, but especially in this time, there was nothing that can, there's nothing can be done for leprosy. And a leper is somebody who cannot be around other people. They know that. The leper has his leper colony, and anywhere that he goes, he is required, if he's outside of that leper colony, to anywhere he goes, if he sees other people, to shout, unclean, unclean, and make sure that they don't get close to him, because if they contract that leprosy, it's basically a death sentence. They have no hope. So now all the people are crowded around, the message is over, the day is finished, the excitement is there, they're all coming down as a group. And then a leper walks right in the middle of all that. Can you imagine what they must have thought of it? Can you imagine the, the response and the reaction? I mean, this is Jesus. 
This is the one who we're all relying on. We all just heard him preach. This is the one who's the most important person in our minds in the whole world right now. This is the person that we've put on a pinnacle. And you're going to risk giving him leprosy? Certainly some must have thought that. Some must have said, you know, there's a crowd around here, and in the midst of this crowd, you're going to walk into it with leprosy? Could you imagine this morning if somebody came uh, to our service and they sat here and they said, you know, I know that I have coronavirus, but I really wanted to come to church today. Now, I'm not overly worried about coronavirus, just to be honest, uh, because the reality of it is it can only do to me that which God allows. And and so uh, I I think we ought to be wise, but it's certainly not something I'm worried about. I'm not sitting and fretting about it. And and so the reality, though, is that if somebody came and they sat right in the middle of all of us and they were coughing and hacking and they said, you know, I'm in the middle of coronavirus. I'm really battling the best I can and I'll probably go to the hospital after this service. You can imagine how you'd feel about them right now. You'd go, what is wrong with you? You are risking causing all of us to have a potentially deadly disease. By the way, I saw a list the other day of all the potentially deadly diseases that were going to wipe out about half a population of the world in the last 10 years. It's amazing how many things were supposed to kill us all. But praise the Lord, we're still here. Amen? And so uh, the reality of it is we'd look at that person and say, there is something wrong. Why would you do this to us? Here comes a leper. More contagious than coronavirus. More deadly in their time than coronavirus today. And he's walking right in the middle of everybody to Jesus. It's an incredible story. And if all you read is that he came to Jesus, I mean, that's enough. But, but there's so much to think about all these people in the picture and, and, and all of what they must have expected Jesus to do. I mean, he's just talked to him about us, but, but, but sure he loves people, but surely he doesn't love this guy that much. So you can imagine, he's coming to the preacher. Surely the preacher's going to straighten him out a little. Surely the preacher's going to say, hey... You know, I mean, you've got a deadly disease. You could have called from over there. We could have had, what are you doing coming right in the middle of all these people and coming right up to, uh, to, to me? And I mean, don't you realize the situation and the potential deadliness of the situation? It, he could have responded as a man would. Aren't you glad God doesn't respond as a man does? And so we see here, first of all, the request of the man. He comes right into the middle of this crowd, this great multitude who's following him down the mountain in verse 1. And behold, there came a leper. So all that is in that there came a leper. He's coming right in that crowd to Jesus. And notice he worshipped him. How did he worship him? He worshipped him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. You realize that statement is his statement of worship. Because he's saying, I understand you are more powerful than the deadly disease of my body. We understand leprosy in the Bible is always a picture of sin. And here's what he's saying. He's coming as a man who is filled with the picture of sin. Just like every one of us when we come to the Savior, we come filled with sin. We do not come as a good person. Somebody might say, well, uh, I think I'm probably going to get to go to heaven because I've been a really good person. I talked to somebody who told me that yesterday, and and I said, you know, uh, there's a lot of people that would be in that same exact boat, same situation, but the Bible says these things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. Not so that you can hope that maybe you were good enough. And by the way, nobody's good enough. 
Because the Bible says that if any man commits even one sin, that he is guilty of being a sinner. He's just as guilty as a mass murderer of sinfulness. He says it this way, if any man keeps the whole law and yet offends in one point, he's guilty of all. The picture I often use is the picture of a child going out and taking a baseball and throwing it and he hits the corner of a window. And what does his dad do? He comes out and says, hey, why did you break the bottom right corner of my window? No. He says, hey, why would you throw a baseball at the window? You broke the window. And the little boy doesn't say, but dad, I didn't break the whole window. I just broke that one part of the window. Because if you break that part, you've broken the whole window. Amen? And that's what God says about his law. When we break one piece, one part, we're just as guilty of having broken the law of God as somebody who's broken every part. Either way, we're a sinner. So here comes a man. He is the picture of us when we come to Christ for salvation. A body, a person who's just filled, racked with this disease, this filth of leprosy, this filth, which is really a picture of our sin. We come to the Savior, we come as a person filled with sin. I notice here in his statement of worship, he says, Lord, I understand you're more powerful than my condition. I understand that you can do something about it, and that's why I'm coming to you. So notice what he says, Lord, if thou wilt, notice his wording, thou canst make me clean. I see first of all in his uh, request, the request of the man is it was a personal request. He didn't come and say, hey Lord, there's a a colony over here of lepers of whom I'm a part. Can you do anything about them? I mean, some of those people over there, they really have some bad leprosy. Isn't that sometimes how we have a tendency to look at things? I mean, Lord, I know some people that are really, really bad in this thing of sin, and if you'd fix them, that'd really be great. He wasn't looking at how God would fix everybody. He was looking at, God, would you fix me? It was a personal request. By the way, when we come to Christ, it's a personal request for salvation. Amen? But it's also as a Christian when we come back, when we come for cleansing, as we come to the Lord, we need to be coming making personal requests. And we've got to be careful we don't get to say, Lord, look how bad our culture is. And Lord, look how bad some of the politicians are. And Lord, look how bad some of the situations of the, uh, the life are of people around us. And Lord, look at this. And Lord, look at that. But rather we're coming and saying, Lord, would you make me what you want me to be? Lord, would you help me to be right before you? Would you put in me a heart that is clean and that is pure? Would you show me the areas of sin? Would you wash me with hyssop that I might be whiter than snow? Lord, would you change my life? And so this man comes with a personal request. He's not trying to figure out how to fix everybody else. He's gotten desperate enough to realize it's not everybody who needs to be fixed. It's me who needs to be changed. And so I see here a personal request. I see not only is it a personal request, but it is a proper request. His request was asked for on the basis of God's will. Look at what he says. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. It's an incredible statement. It's a statement of faith. He is saying, Lord, I am trusting that what you choose is the right choice. Now, he could have come and said, look, you've been preaching this message up here. You've got all these people following you. I keep hearing about how you heal all these diseases. But look, if you're really God, why don't you heal me? Then I'll believe you. 
He could have come and tried to put God to the test. He could have come and tried to make an ultimatum with God. He could have come and tried to say, uh, Lord, I'll make a deal with you type of an idea. He could have come with that type of a spirit, but he didn't. He made a proper request. Sometimes God works even when people come and they don't come in the right manner and praise the Lord for that. But as we come to God, as we come to him in prayer, we, we have to come in this manner. Lord, I'm coming for me, a personal request. Would you change me? Would you fix me? And then, Lord, not only that, but I'm coming recognizing and, and realizing that I am a sinner who needs to personally be changed, but I'm going to do it in a proper way. As we come to God and we have needs, we ought to come and say, Lord, I'm not demanding of you. I'm requesting if thou wilt. Lord, this is really up to your will. Now, praise God, when somebody comes for salvation, we already know his will. Amen? He is willing that all, uh, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God wants every person to be saved. Praise the Lord for that. And when we come to get uh, our, our sins cleansed as a Christian, we know that he's said that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know his will. We know we're praying according to the word of God. But sometimes we come and we say, now, Lord, I have this need. It's a financial need. It's a family need. Lord, I have this need and I really need it fixed. And sometimes as Christians, we can be guilty of doing what we sometimes ridicule, maybe is the word, with others. And we say, well, you know, foxhole prayers or a jail cell prayer, somebody who gets right, or they, uh, you know, I'll make a deal with you, God. If you get me through this situation of life, then I'll really serve you. And we say, well, no, you can't come to God that way. But if we're not careful, sometimes we come that way. And we come and, and we start trying to demand, and we have to come and say, Lord, if thou wilt. Lord, whatever your will, whatever your plan. And so there's a humility in the coming to God. And I see this man uh, comes with a proper request. He comes with a personal request. But then number three, he comes with a pertinent request. He doesn't come and say, hey, Lord, uh, someday if you kind of get around to it, would you consider? No, he comes. This is pertinent. This man has come to the place in life where he has an incredible need. He needs God to step in in an amazing way. <coughs> pardon me, and aren't you glad when we come to those times of life that our God doesn't say, well, I wish I had the ability, but rather he has the full ability to step into exactly what we need and he can move and work exactly how we need him to. Aren't you glad of that? Praise the Lord that we have a God with that ability. We don't have to come and pray in such a manner that we don't put God too much on the spot. We can come with boldness when we know we're in the will of God. We can come with assurance. Think about uh, men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, where they said, if the Lord will, he can save us from the fire. But if not, it was a pertinent request. Lord, we need to be saved. I think about Peter. Lord, help! The Lord helped, saved him from that water when he went under in the waves. I think about sometimes the prayers of the Bible that are the shortest have the most immediate impact. This man didn't pray a long, drawn-out prayer. He came with a pertinent need, and he's saying, Lord, would you help me in this moment, at this time? I am in desperate need of your help. So here comes a man, and when healing comes, I see, first of all, there must be a request for it. We see the request of the man was personal. It was proper. It was pertinent. It was humble. And then I see not only the request of the man, I see the response of the Savior. This is an incredible response. We see here, first of all, Jesus' love is declared. 
The Bible tells us uh, that he asked this in verse number two. Then verse number three, Jesus put forth his hand and touched him saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I see, first of all, Jesus' love was declared by action. Jesus, here comes this man. He reached out and he touched the untouchable. It's an incredible, incredible picture. Remember, some of these people must have been waiting for Jesus to let him have it. They must have been saying, oh, I mean, remember when just a sinner came a few times, a few different times, the basic story happened, and the Pharisees would say, oh, if he knew who he was eating with. Oh, if he knew who that woman is that just washed his feet with her hair. Oh, if he knew who those people, those people are sinners. But now this is even worse. This isn't just a sinner who has sin in the heart. This is a leper. This is a person who is contagious. This is a person who nobody wants around. And they must have expected him to send them away. But you sure don't touch a leper. And the greatest need of the leper really is physical touch. Because they've been living in a leper colony and, and there's no, communica- uh, no physical communication one to another because of the deadliness of the disease. Their own families, their own spouse would not have been able to touch them for a long time. They haven't had anybody give them a hug. They haven't had anybody on a hard night put their arm around their, their shoulder and say, hey, I love you, I care about you. They've had none of that. And by the way, God built us all to need some of that. Some more, some less, but he built us all to need some. And so here is a a man who has had no encouragement in that kind of manner. Nobody to come around and say, hey, I care about you. I love you. Jesus' love is declared by his action. He reaches out and he touches the man. Not only that, it was declared by his words. Jesus spoke to him. Most people would not have been polite to this man. Most people would have said, get away from here, you unclean person. Jesus expressed his love by action. Jesus expressed his love and his words and his caring for this man. And then he said those words, I will. I will heal. I will step in. I do care about your situation. Isn't it amazing the love of our Savior? You know, it's so easy if we're not cautious to get so busy with life that we forget to love people. We get so busy rushing into the store and rushing back out and trying to get this done and trying to get that done and trying to make sure our to-do list doesn't get too long and then go home and try to fix the honey-do list. And, and in the middle of all that, we're trying to make everything happen that's supposed to happen. And we can so easily rush past a world that just needs somebody to slow down and with our actions and with our words express the love of God. You say, Pastor, how do you express the love of God with your actions? Sometimes it's just because you slowed down enough to recognize they were there. It doesn't mean that you have to go around to everybody and hit them on the head. Praise the Lord, amen? We don't go and say, bless you, my child. I'm glad about that. Somebody one time, they said, oh, you're the father over at that church. I said, no, I'm the father at home. I'm not the father at the church. I don't have children at church. Praise the Lord for that, except for two. But uh, I'm not the father. I'm just the pastor. Amen? God said, be careful about all those other titles. Hey, praise the Lord. We don't have to go around trying to bless everybody and fix everybody. We don't go touch them all in the head. I don't want to touch most people's head. Sometimes, though, what they need me to do with my action is to stop rushing, to slow down, 
and just to say, hi, how are you today? Yeah, I'm a pastor here in town, and I've been telling everybody, I'm a brand new pastor in town, and everybody keeps saying, welcome to Missouri. Thanks, I grew up here, I've lived here my whole life. Great, but, uh, but I mean, I'm a brand new pastor in town. And I'll use that for about a year. And then the next two years after that, I'll be a new pastor in town. And then after about three years, you can't claim that anymore. But, uh, you know, you go and and somebody told me the other day, uh, a lady that I knocked on her door told me the other day, she said, I've been living here for about a year. I said, wonderful. I've only been the pastor for about three weeks. So you come, we can be friends. And then we got a whole bunch of friends that you can make. And you'll have all kinds of friends in town in no time. And, uh, you know, sometimes people just need us to slow down and be a friend. Be friendly. And that's what Jesus does for this man. He, he takes the time for him. He slows down with his words and with his actions. He is expressing the love of God to somebody that by human standards doesn't deserve it. By human standards ought to be rushed past. By human standards ought to be pushed away. Isn't it amazing? The world talks so much about being inclusive. And yet the only place where you really find inclusivity is in Christ. Oh, he doesn't say come as you are and leave as you were. But he does say come as you are and you can leave changed. You can leave with an eternal destination that has changed. And then I'll change your life into that which will bring glory to God. What an incredible Savior. Whosoever will may come. And so we see the love of God. We see the expression of it. And Jesus is very clear as he declares and expresses the love of God. Not only does he express the love of God, but we see Jesus' lordship displayed. So Jesus, uh, Jesus speaks. He tells that, he's, uh, that he loves this man. He expresses the love of God to him. But then we see that he displays his lordship. The fact that he is God is on full display. Uh, first of all, through his words, he says, be thou clean. Nobody can just declare a leper clean. Amen? I mean, if somebody came into our service today with coronavirus, and I walked over and said, be thou clean. They'd probably still need to just hurry up and go to the hospital. Amen? I don't have the ability to cleanse their corona. Coronavirus. I guess you need that second word on there. But the reality of it is, while I can't fix them, God can. So he's declaring for everyone, I am the God of the universe. He's putting it on full display, first of all, through his words, but then secondly, through his works. This is an incredible picture because Jesus says to this man, be thou clean. But remember, he also touched the man. So he's declaring, number one, I'm not concerned about the leprosy. That that leprosy that pictures sin can have no effect on him. You know, it's always that which is uh, not pure that impacts the pure. Anything that is pure, anything that is clean, if it's exposed to that which is impure, that which is dirty does not become cleaner. Rather, that which is clean becomes dirty. Amen? So if you have a doctor and that doctor comes in to do a surgery and they go in there and they clean and they wash and they put on their first layer of gloves and they clean and they wash and they put on their second layer of gloves and they do all that, I don't know, all of what they do. And then they put on their mask and they put on their gown and they put on all this stuff. And then they go out and they roll around in a pig pen a couple times and come in and do surgery. They didn't go make the pig pen clean before they worked on you. Amen? The pig pen made them dirty. Or if they even so much as walk into an unclean environment that has some germs in the air, then they can't do the surgery without going through all of that again. Because that which is dirty corrupts that which is clean. But that's not so with the Lord. He's the only one who's so pure and so holy 
that that which is dirty can never corrupt him. So here comes a man who's filled with this leprosy. But it can't hurt the Lord. He's not worried about it. He's not worried about the filthiness of it. He reaches out and touches the man. He expresses his love, but he also expresses his lordship. Do you realize it was illegal to touch somebody with leprosy? Based on Jewish law? Based on the law which God gave to Moses? You couldn't touch a man with leprosy. As a matter of fact, you couldn't touch somebody with leprosy until they'd been declared cleansed. And it was a really big deal because that would be sinful to do that. And by the way, Jesus never broke the law. Amen? He perfectly fulfilled it. So it's really, really an incredible statement that he's making by touching a leper. Because what he's doing, the leper could not be touched until he had first gone to the high priest. When the leper would come to the high priest, then the high priest would determine, uh, based on the law, whether or not uh, he was able to be cleansed. And it's really great reading. If you go back in Leviticus and read about it, if it's got a black hair, then it means one thing. If it's got a white hair, it means another thing uh, coming out of the spot there that's on their head or whatever. And, and if it's like this certain color, it means it's great reading there in, in Leviticus. And, uh, and so you can go back and find all of that out. And the priest would look at all of this and he'd determine, okay, according to the book of Leviticus you're now clean, or according to the book of Leviticus, you're still not clean. But once he was declared cleansed, he was declared as uh, being over the leprosy, and God had dealt with it in his body, now he could go back home and he could be touched by people again. But before that, it would have been breaking the law to touch him. This man has not yet been to the high priest. So for Jesus to touch the man who's not yet been to the high priest and declared cleansed by the high priest... If he's not God, that's breaking the law. In fact, if he's not the high priest, that's breaking the law. But he wasn't the high priest that this man was about to go see after the order of Aaron. He was the high priest, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, after the order of Melchizedek. The high priest, the great high priest, the one who today is the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the great high priest declared him clean. And when the great high priest declared him clean, he can now be touched. And by the way, Jesus never touched a leper, but Jesus only ever touched a clean man, for he cleansed him as he touched him. Amen? So here's a man, a moment before nobody could touch him, a moment before he had to go and see the high priest down at the temple, but he came to Jesus and said, and Jesus said, you don't need the high priest at the temple anymore because now the great high priest is here. By the way, you know why we don't need a priest down at a temple? Why we don't need to go and have a confessional booth and we don't need to go through a man to try to get to God to have a relationship is because the great high priest is here. And the great high priest is the mediator between God and man. And when he declares us cleansed of our sin, we are cleansed indeed. We don't need a man to go. We don't need a person to tell us it's okay. We just come directly to God through Christ. And the great high priest said, you're declared cleansed. So now... Go down to the temple and take care of the rest of it. And so we see here, and we'll see that in just a moment, only God could make this declaration. Only God would have the power to move in this kind of a manner. Only God could work in the manner in which he worked. Now look at the reality of the situation. We see here, first of all, that the healing was received. God did what God said that he would do. Here comes a man. 
Here comes the leper right in the middle of everybody. Here comes the man that just messed up the whole celebration attitude of the whole entire group. And Jesus healed him on the spot. Healing was received. Why? Because it was an act of faith. He came without faith that is impossible to please him, but here's a man who came by faith. Here's a man who came and said, look, I know this isn't necessarily the, the easiest thing to come. And I know that I'm not really going to be popular with those around me. And I know that others are not really going to like that I'm here. And I know that it's a little bit embarrassing right now. And by the way, let me just say to you, don't let others th- uh, what others think or don't let a moment of embarrassment keep you from coming to Christ as your Savior. Here's a man who came and he said, I'm not worried any longer about what everybody thinks. I just have to get to Jesus. And by faith, he came and said, Lord, I know that if you will, you can clean me. I know that if you choose to, you have the power. And by faith, I'm just coming and asking you to do that. The reality of it is this morning, you might be here and say, you know, I don't know for sure if I'd go to heaven or not. If I were to die, I I don't know if I've ever come the way you're talking about through the great high priest, through Jesus. I I don't know exactly how all that works. The reality is it's just a simple step of faith. It's coming by faith. The Bible says there's some things that we have to know. We have to know that you're a sinner. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It means there's a standard that God has set to come into heaven. That standard is absolute perfection, just as perfect, just as holy, just as righteous as God himself. But the reality is that when we sin, all have sinned. So because we've sinned, we've come short of that standard, God's own glory, God's own perfection. The reality is that all have sinned and come short of that glory of God. That's the bad news. We're all filled with that leprosy called sin. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I don't have any problem with that. I know I'm a sinner. I mean, I know I've done things wrong. I've said things that aren't true. I, I understand that I've broken the law of God. I know that I'm not a perfect person. And therefore, I don't match up to the perfection of God himself. All right, so number one, I get that. I need to know I'm a sinner, that I've fallen short of his standard. I understand that I'm a sinner. Secondly, the Bible tells us that there's a price for sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. The word wages there, it means that which is rightfully earned. It's an interesting word. It would be the idea of somebody who works for it and somebody who earns it. That's why we call in our country, uh, we have minimum wage. And minimum wage is the least amount somebody's to earn per hour for their work. That's the least they can earn. It's the same word. So the Bible says the wages, what we have worked for and rightfully earned because of the fact we're a sinner, is death. Isn't it an amazing thing? By the way, even if you're saved, isn't it an amazing thing that every single one of us have worked for and earned death? The word death in the Bible, it's really the word death anywhere. It means separation. It's what the word actually means. So in the Bible, you have a couple of different kinds of death. You have the death that we often talk about at the end of somebody's life on this earth. And what happens is when that death comes, there's separation. There is the separation of a soul from a body. When that happens, that body now lies in the casket still. 
There's nothing to give it life. There's nothing to give it vibrance. There's nothing to make it move and have personality because that soul has been separated from the body. And so we call the body now dead. It's been separated. Then the Bible tells us that that soul goes somewhere. There's only two options. It either goes to heaven or it goes to a place called hell. So what's the difference? One is called eternal life because that's where God lives. When that soul is with God, it's alive. But remember the word death means separation. This is the death, the separation in uh, this verse, that that which we have earned because of our sin is separation from God. It's a place where God does not exist. Sometimes people think of hell. They think of how hot a fire might be uh, that somebody would burn in forever. And that's true and that's there. But the great horror of hell is not the physical pain. The great horror of hell will be being separated from a holy God for all of eternity. It's a place called eternal death, eternal separation from Almighty God. So the Bible tells us you've got to understand you're a sinner. You've got to understand there's a penalty for that sin, and that penalty is separation from God forever and ever. But then the Bible tells us the good news that Jesus came and that he paid that penalty for us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whenever I'm talking to somebody about that, I almost always uh, have a pen or something like that, and I'll pull it out. And I'll say, just imagine with me for a moment that this pen is worth about $100,000. Now, if you imagine that and you have a good imagination, you'll want this pen real fast. Amen? And so this pen's worth a lot of money. In fact, it's a very special pen. And so this pen, uh, I would like to give to you. And I'll say, I'm talking to Brother Raven. I'll say, Brother Raven, I will give this pen to you if you'll just simply go wash my car. Now, that would be pretty good payment for washing a car, amen? But I'll ask the question, is that a gift or is that a wage, something you've earned? Now, that's a really good wage. $100,000 for washing a car would be a really good wage. In fact, Brother Chris Raver would probably jump at the opportunity if it was really worth that. But the truth of it is, it's still a wage. We agreed on the wage before he did the work. So anything that has work and then wage, it cannot save. You might be here and you say, Pastor, I know I'm going to heaven because I got baptized. Now, wait a minute. If you had to do the work and now you think heaven will be the wage, you can't go to heaven with that. You say, well, no, 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 it's not that, but I've gone to church for a long time and I've gone a lot of times. But the reality is that if somebody were to say, or if I were to say to you, if you'll come to church every Sunday, I'll give you this pin, there's still an if-then. If you do the work, I'll give you the wage. So anything that has an if-then, if you do this, then you can get uh, this pin. Or if God were to say, if you do that, then you can come to heaven. If there's an if-then to it, it has to be a wage. It cannot save you. Because the Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life. But if I were to walk over and I were to say, Brother Ravert, I just really appreciate you and all you do around here, and I just want to give you this little gift, then the reality is that was a gift. Anything he has to do makes it not a gift. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, you know, uh, Pastor, and, and, and I'm still kind of figuring out who's guests and who's not, and, and you might say, we don't have hardly any guests here, and uh, do you think we're all lost? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying this. You could be here for your first time or you could be here for your five millionth time and need to make that decision. You could have heard it for the first time today or for the manyth time today. But the reality is this, if you've ever tried to do anything to get to heaven, 
You can't get there. Because it's only a gift of God. So what does God do? He comes and he says, look, I have a gift. The gift is eternal life, and I'm offering it to you. But the reality is when a gift is offered, then the other person has a choice to make. They can either reach out and receive the gift, or they cannot receive it at all. You know, whether or not you go to heaven has nothing to do with how much good things you do. Doesn't have anything to do with how many people you help across the road, how many bags of groceries you carry, how much you give to a a community event. It doesn't have anything to do with getting baptized or going to church. It has to do with one thing. Have you ever received the gift of eternal life? The Bible tells us how to receive the gift. It says uh, in Romans chapter 10 that anybody can receive it. It says with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, with the heart we believe unto righteousness. So here's what it is. It's not about some certain words that somebody has to say, but from a heart level they have to come in prayer to God, admitting, realizing that they're a sinner. Realizing that as a sinner that they can't get themselves to heaven because there's a penalty for that sin. Realizing that Jesus is the one who has already paid the penalty by his own death on the cross that now he's offering everlasting life. And so what do we have to do to go to heaven? We have to come and say, Lord, I understand I'm a sinner and I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sin. Now I'm simply asking you to forgive me of my sin and take me to heaven with you when I die. It's not any certain words, it's a decision that must be made. That's why the Bible uses the word repent. It's a turning of the heart. I'm no longer working for it. I'm no longer trying to do all I can. I am turning and trusting Christ alone as my Savior. Here's a man who came. I don't know what he'd been doing previously, but certainly living in a leper colony. Here's a man who had done all that he could do, probably gone to the best leprosy doctor that there was. He'd done everything humanly, but nothing could deal with the problem. But finally he said, you know, I don't care what it costs and I don't care what people think and I don't care what embarrassment there may be in it. I just have to get to Jesus. And he came to Jesus. And not only did he have his leprosy healed, his sins were forgiven. I see the healing was received, but I see in that hope was restored. This man was without hope. There's no way to ever get better. But now hope is restored. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, I came to church this morning and and I really didn't come expecting to hear that I'm a bad person uh, who can't please God no matter how much I try and that the only way I can get to him is by coming to Jesus through faith. And and I didn't really expect that. I really thought maybe somebody would tell me how good of a person I am and and really help my self-confidence because that's what I'm struggling with. I'm out of hope. I was hoping for a message of hope. Can I just say to you this morning, that's exactly what this is. Because here's a man who had tried everything, he'd done everything, he'd worked at it, he'd done all that he could, and finally he said, there's no other way to ever be healed. And he came to Jesus and he found there was hope for healing, not in himself, but in Jesus alone. Maybe you're here today and you've tried and you've worked and you've done your best and you've tried everything you can, and maybe you came as a last resort and you said, all right, I'll give it a shot. I mean, I don't know about what this religious stuff will really help me with. Maybe you're here today and you say, I don't know if there's really anything God can do for me. Let me just say, if you'll come to him and trust Christ as your Savior, you'll find hope is restored. And you'll find that God has a purpose for your life. 
I see here's a man who healing was received. Here's a man where hope was restored. And here's a man that found that holiness was required. We come back now to uh, those who may know Christ as Savior. But look at what Jesus tells him. Verse number four. Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way. Now here's his command. Show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto him. What's he talking about? I mean, he's already healed him. Jesus already is the great high priest. He has already been declared as being cleansed. Why does he need to go down to the human physical temple? Why does he need to come and and present this, uh, this offering back to God? Why does he need to do as Moses commanded? Still the law, but, but what's the practical reason? And I believe that what we can pull from this is, or understand from this, is that when God blesses our life, sometimes those blessings become what sidetrack us from doing what we're supposed to do. Maybe this morning you're here, you say, oh, no, 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 pastor, I know I'm saved, no doubt about it. Great. Have the blessings of God sidetracked you from serving him like you should? Because here's what he told this man, don't you get sidetracked going and telling everybody what I did for you First, go carry out what the Bible says that you're supposed to do next. And you know, sometimes we can get sidetracked even with good things, can we not? And we get sidetracked, all the blessings that God gives us can become that which sidetracks us. Instead of saying, no, I've got to stay on task and just obey the Bible in my life. Let me encourage you, you may be here and you've been saved a long time and faithful to the Lord a long time, but it doesn't matter how long we're saved, we still have a tendency to get sidetracked by the blessings. So don't get sidetracked by the blessings. Get right back to serving God. Keep on going. Keep on being faithful. Keep getting to the next step of obedience. Because God says to this man, I've blessed your life, now take the step of obedience that's required. And then you know what happens when we take that step of obedience? God blesses us for it because he's so good and he's so kind. And then he says, now I've blessed you. Take another step of obedience. And every time we take a step of obedience, we receive more blessings. But for some reason, because we're human beings, we have a tendency to get to a point and say, I don't like that step. And this feels like pretty good blessings. So I'll just stay here. And before long, the blessings dry up and we wonder, why don't I ever seem to have any blessings? Why is life so hard? And sometimes life's just hard, but sometimes it's because we haven't taken the next step of obedience or we're not being blessed for it. So I ask you, you say, Pastor, I've been saved a while. I know that. I I know that decision you're talking about to trust Jesus as my Savior. I've been there. I've done that. I've taken care of that step of beginning my walk with God. Good. Where are you at in your walk with God? Are you taking the next steps that he has for you to take? Are you being obedient? Are you experiencing the fullness of his blessing as you're walking along? Or have you stopped short somewhere along the line? Have you gotten sidetracked? Maybe this morning your decision is not to come to Christ for salvation. Maybe it's just to come back to Christ and say, hey, I've gotten a little sidetracked because you've been so good to me. We've been singing and thinking about having a thankful heart. Maybe you need to come and say, Lord, I quit being thankful and I started just enjoying the blessings. Would you forgive me? Would you help me to be thankful again? And then to respond to those blessings by serving more greatly. You know, he doesn't want us to stop taking the next step. Amen? And he sure blesses us tremendously. But he wants us to take the next step of obedience to him. Are you taking the next step? Maybe this morning the next step is to know Christ as your Savior. You need to take that first step 
And if you're here and that's your situation, we'd love nothing where we're about to have what we call an invitation. It's just me inviting you to make a decision. And in just a moment, Christians will come up here and they'll pray and they'll ask God to help them with decisions that they're making. And I'd invite you, if you need to be saved this morning, just to join right in with them and come up. And I'd love to meet you right down here. And we'll have somebody take a Bible. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady. If you're a man, a man take you. And we won't tell you what we think about how you can go to heaven or how to be a part of our church. We'll tell you what the Bible says, what God says, how to know for sure heaven will be your eternal home. We don't want to give you our opinion. We want to tell you what God said. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to make that decision. Won't you come right along as well and just let somebody take you to a side room and show you how to know for sure that heaven will be your eternal home. You say, Pastor, sounds a little embarrassing. Here's the thing. There's no reason to be embarrassed. But I do understand how it would sound that way. And the truth is this. It's not worth letting the potential of an embarrassing moment keep you out of heaven for all of eternity. It's the most important decision you'll ever make because it's the only decision that will affect you after you die. So with that in mind, let's have our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Nobody's looking around, nobody's talking. Just a time to make a decision to respond to God how he's spoken to your heart today. Maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor, I realize that there has been a time in my life where I have accepted Jesus as my Savior. I could tell you the Bible reasoning, and maybe not every verse, but I could tell you the Bible reason. I could explain to you how I know for sure that heaven will be my eternal home. Today, I know for sure, no doubt about it, if I died right now, I'd wake up in heaven. If that's you, would you slip your hand where I can see it? You say, I know that for sure. There's no doubt heaven would be my eternal home. Good, thank you. I appreciate that. Amen. You can put those down. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I don't know for sure about that. And I promise you, I won't embarrass you in any way. I won't come to you. I won't call you out. But I sure would like to just know who to pray for. And maybe you'd say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that heaven will be my eternal home, but I would let you pray for me because I'd like to know that for sure. Anybody like that this morning, you'd just slip your hand up high enough for me to see. I won't say your name, but I'd just in my own mind like to know who I'm praying for. And you say, Pastor, I'd like to know for sure heaven will be my eternal home. Would you pray for me this morning? Anybody like that today? You'd slip your hand just high enough for me to see, and you can put it right back down. 